0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's been, well, 24 hours, Golden Globes, Naomi Osaka's pregnant, and the whole of British politics is still shit. Well, something's never changed. The noise Public Enemy's Chuck D. Been the noise. podcast Network. I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Guess I say Happy New Year, but it's, it's like st- 11, I'm recording on the 11th. <laughs> it's dropping on the top Bit late for that, innit? <laughs> A little bit late. uh I would say I should have left you with that dope part instead, too. But I actually have been leaving you with the dope pod to step to. Um to my um self gas. I'll pat myself on the back there. Yeah man. Um but regardless of that, I hope you all had a good um December, holiday period, New Year's, all of that stuff. And um you know, I always look at New Year's as a very interesting time. Um I don't know whether I class it like my favourite time of the year anymore. I used to, um, but I don't I don't really trivialized dates anymore like like that you know what i mean i'm not I'm not one of these people that you know celebrate their birthday for a whole week or um you know take Halloween seriously I'm a bit of a prude when it comes to certain dates you know what I mean but new year's has a has an essence for me that I just um i just like you know, I, I just like the i like the newness of it the freshness of ringing in a new year it's very i don't know it's very liberating, I guess, in some ways, um, but, you know, regardless of that, you know, people, I feel, I feel, consider New Year's as, like, you know, just another day, and, you know, you can, it's fine, right, I consider a lot of days just a day, um, but, I don't know, I don't know, just, uh, New Year's just, I like, I like to, I like to put stake, or put stock into New Year's, you know what I mean, and uh, think about it in uh, a reflective way, and um, it's always different every time I do it. Um, the around bef- just before New Year's, like on the day of or the day before, I usually like write a little thing, um, you know, just like a little, I don't know, like a uh, a parting of ways of the year, of um, like my instant thought right there and then. And uh, I did it around like I think like three a.m. on New Year's. Eve, um, just before I went to bed, or oh, in in lack in 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 replacement of actually sleeping and going to bed, and um, the the thing I came came out of that with was um, a feed, and you can read this by the way. Um, you can check my IG at, uh, at uh, Cherry Twenty Two if you want to read. Um, but the gist of it was, um, I was initially going to talk about some some relating to values, right? and how people value certain things when i feel like there are plenty more things that we could value a lot more um but i don't know i kind of um i kind of scrap that and instead rode the wave of a term or of a word um apathy you know I've, I've i'm regu- I, I feel like i'm either and this, this is kind of like the realization i had that night right I'm either apathetic or angry in some fashion, right? You know, I come on the pod, and and best believe this episode I'm going to be angry, right? <laughs> but anger is a interesting emotion that I feel like isn't really explored as much, um, compared to you know something like love, right? Or you know, uh, any any of the, uh, overriding, uh, and uh, popular popular um, popular, uh. Mental illnesses, you know what I mean—that people um, combat these days, anxiety, depression, any of that stuff. I feel like anger is just, um, you know, needs to be just embraced a bit more, or not, not embrace. Well, yeah, embraced, Fuck it, embrace, right? Because anger is a really good motivator. Love is a good motivator too, right? Um, I feel like, you know, I, I I do a lot of things out of love, but I also do some things out of anger as well, and some of the things I talk about in this pod, I. Feel and this is kind of why I fuck with the pod so heavy for myself is that it's a place for me to put that anger somewhere, and it's not and it's anger with purpose, right? I feel it's not just shouting into the wind, even though in some ways this is me shouting into a mic or not shouting but talking into a mic. And you know, if people listen, they listen, if they don't, they don't, right? Um, I'm I speak into the ether, um as As a lot of people do in different ways, you know some people just write a tweet um I've always find i find I find it weird with people and you know I do this a couple of times, but people commentate on their emotions very viscerally, like on twitter sometimes like it's, like I it's say like as a diary entry you know they 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 say things that nobody would get unless it's them you know and it's like stuff like um Oh th these people pissing me off. <sighs> like uh, <laughs> do you want me to ask you what people? Do you want me to do you want everybody to ask you what's wrong? You know what I mean? Um I don't know, it's kind of like a lead on, you know what I mean? It's like it's like it's like throwing a it's like throwing some bait out there and seeing if anybody takes it. It's like I'm sick of these people, man. What people? <laughs> like, I'm sick of a lot of people and I say who those people are, but anyway, that's that's beside the point. Um yeah, I feel like I have constant I'm in a constant state of anger. And there's also and that's obviously that um quote you know, um um the um you know uh I think I think it was Baldwin. There might have been James Baldwin. Um but um you know, you live black people well he I think he said it and he was more uh focusing on black Americans obviously, saying that um African Americans are always in a constant state of anger. Um and I feel like that applies to me as well. And I think it, it can apply to a lot of people. Honestly, I think it's universally applied. It can be. Um, I feel if you're if you're in this day and age and if you're living life and you're not angry at something, are you really... Are you really experiencing life to the fullest? You know what I mean? You know, is, is it you really... You're not pissed off at anything? You know? I feel like people have to be angry about something in life. Um, and... That's kind of where the value stuff comes in, where I'm just like, How about we be angry at, you know, politicians? Right? How about we be angry at capitalism? Stuff like that, you know what I mean? So I feel like that's what this pod is uh in in its root, in its essence, what it is. It's just me saying what I'm angry about and um and and providing solutions sometimes, right? Most of the time I try and provide solutions, right? Um because what is anger if if it doesn't come out with something on the back, something productive on the back end? Um, I don't want to sh- just just shout it to either. I also want to provide solutions, right? I also want to think about solutions. I also want to think about a future where the thing I'm angry about is no longer a thing to be angry about. Um so anyway, but yeah, anyway. That's 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 gonna that's gonna be uh a long road and um yeah, that, that'll that will that will probably mean I'm doing this pod till I die if that's if that's the goal of this pod. Um but anyway. Regardless of that. Let's begin. Uh I'm gonna do two um two segments on health, um, specifically the NHS, um, because I feel that's the that's what i want to begin this year on in terms of thought for myself um i feel this year is going to be a very is a, it, i mean the past <laughs> the past 15ish years have been a flashpoint for the nhs but i feel like this year just feels like a you know they they keep saying on the news breaking point they say at least you know once a year for the nhs but i i i feel personally this is where where we're at right now um i feel <laughs> anyway we'll we'll get to it we'll get to it got that and uh, we got a life for the back end and an arts in the middle um so with that said formalities before we begin got a new one gonna have to try and get used to doing this one now so email socials the fifth element of medium uh medium blog or just um writing there you go email socials writing all of that can be found in descriptions as well as music and obviously other 5 EPM podcasts you get into. But with that said, for the first time in 2023, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where Rishi Sunak makes non-specific promises for the UK, Cut inflation debt in half, like great. Cheers, bro. <laughs> Fuck. So so non-specific. And I feel like if P- if politicians make out-and-out promises like that, I feel like fall on the sword. Right? You you got those five things? Okay. You have all year to 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 do these things. If you don't, see you later. I'll give you that fair crack, even though nobody voted for you. You shouldn't really get a fair crack in general. Um, you shouldn't be here. But here we are. I'll give you that fair crack. Do them top five. Do them five things you mentioned. Um, you have till the end of the year. I'll book it. Uh, Met Office uh, confirms 2022 was UK's warmest ever year. I'm not surprised. Um, Bolsonaro. Yeah, Bolsonaro supporters uh, stormed their Congress in Brasilia. Uh, that was very... Uh, <laughs> I like how America... It's just the the, the the influence America has. Literally two days after the two-year anniversary of January 6th. Is and Bolsonaro is currently in Florida, and he's apparently in a hospital with a stomach infection. Like, how's that dude not dead yet? Like, he's constantly in the whole fucking hospital. Was that anyway? Former Prince Harry uh, hijacks news cycle with uh, memoir quotes and TV interviews. Um, guys, he's. Um, I hate to say this, but he's not going to be king. So why the fuck should I give a shit about anything he says? Um, I just don't care. Uh it's just all mess, isn't it? It's all mess, it's all gossip, it's, it's all it's it's just just um I don't know, because people think the royal family's not trashy, but it basically is. Who cares? And then lastly, the Earth's ozone layers expected to return to nineteen eighty levels in the next few decades, according to your report. There you go. Nice nice something something nice and something nice and light. <laughs> something something to something to look forward to uh in, in the world. Um but let's begin. First of two NHS-centric uh, pieces. I'm going to start with this one. This, uh, I guess, opinion. I don't know how you want to call it. But, um, this piece uh, via Anoush Chekelian, uh, via the New Statesman. It's called Truth About the Worst NHS Crisis. I mean, when has it not been in a crisis in the past 10, 15 years? But let's jump right in. Perhaps it's growing older, but increasingly I envisage... I hate that word. Oh, fuck. I keep forgetting. I, I love... Forgetting the word envisage and then people use it. It shouldn't exist. It doesn't sound right on the tongue. Envisage. Just say envisioned. Like There's a D in it. There you go. It's fine. It's not, no, people aren't going to trip over it. envision and envisioned. You don't have to make it so disparate. Like envisage. It like, doesn't sound right. Anyway. Increasingly, I envisage the future generations boggling at things I took for granted. The tube was free all night on New Year's Eve. I see myself telling... Uh, it telling envious future grandchildren, it charged uh, standard affairs this year. Councils would run massive firework displays with no entrance fee on bonfire night. I couldn't afford the last two last time. We used to know the name of our GP and call up in the morning for an appointment the next day. I remember getting an appointment on the day. And I don't know if that was just me being a kid and just, you know, getting that special treatment as kids do. Um, but I do remember... Calling up, like, you know, well, my mum calling up at 7am, like 8am, whatever, and then get an appointment a couple of hours later. I remember that shit. Now, fuck. Be, be lucky to get it in a week. <laughs> Fucking miracle. Um, and I'm not exaggerating. Now, it's the NHS. Well, the idea of an ambulance arriving within minutes also become a memory of an exotic past. Well, my grandchildren sigh at my nostalgic ramblings while booking me an Uber <laughs> nine to the hospital. Oh, don't do that. Oh, that's depressing. Uh, what would that hospital within look like? A private one, that's what. Uh, this is the true sign of crisis. Cataclysmic, transformative, the fallout meaning of the landscape may never look the same again. This is what's happening to the NHS. The term NHS crisis had appeared in headlines for so many winters where more people end up in hospital, uh, that the phrase had become something of a running joke in medical and media circles. There you go, that's what I meant. Um, it turns out those busy seasons were just warning signs to build up to the big one. Now it's here. Between 300 and 500 people are dying a week because of emergency response delays. Dr. Adrian Boyle, president of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine Board on New Year's Day. The number of... Well, that's a depressing thing to say on New Year's Day. Can you wait a couple of days? I'm joking. Uh, The number of patients waiting more than 12 hours in A&E to be admitted or discharged has risen 355% compared with last November. There is never a good time to fall ill or have an accident, but you definitely don't want that to happen today. (sighs) So as a side note, and on a personal note, uh, my pops had to wait in A&E for 18 hours a few months ago. And now I'm just thinking of the worst. <laughs> of just, of just, um... What if he just belts me up and just goes, I have to go in A&E and he has to wait 24 hours. You know what I mean? It's just... And it's dire. You know what I mean? Just, I, I can't, I can't think like that. But yeah, it's crazy. You can think of these worst case scenarios for anybody. Um, how was the situation... How has the situation been allowed to get this bad? I've spoken to doctors, nurses, paramedics, patients, officials, and hospital tr- hospital trust heads about what has been going wrong over the years. The following is a reflection of what they told me. Let's start with the obvious. We are barely a year out of a pandemic. COVID-19 added a whole load more patients into the mix with peak flu season, in peak flu season. Flu infections, as well as others uh, like Strep A and RSV, have been building up after two years of social distancing, masking, and enhanced hygiene measures. At the height of the pandemic, people were more reluctant to go into hospital or call the emergency services missing patients, identified by new statesmen at the time. Uh, British citizens were told to, quote, stay at home, protect the HS, save lives, unquote. Early signs of cancer were missed, conditions worsened, and that pent-up demand is spinning out now. Through controversial, though controversial, uh, people on the front line I've spoken to also tell me patients are now quicker to turn to A&E, sometimes inappropriately, because of dissatisfaction with their GPs or the 111 non-emergency phone service. Health workers endured long, draining shifts throughout the pandemic. Their holidays were repeatedly cancelled at the last minute. Some were traumatised by what they saw on COVID wards. It was a physical and mental onslaught. The the quote-unquote catch-up, working through the backlog that built up during the pandemic, I'm told, can be even more stressful than treating COVID itself. Levels of burnout and sickness absences absences, yeah, I said, right, rocketed. Uh, by February 2022, NHS staff were quitting a record rate. Now, more than one in ten nursing jobs in England are vacant. Asked when about the NHS, uh, when asked about the NHS meltdown, ministers love to mention the unique challenges of COVID-19. Yet most of the current mess is the result, not of, a capricious virus, but political decisions. Aha, uh-huh, yes. Indeed, it was a political decision in the first place not to keep putting resources into pandemic preparations. Brackets, the personal protective equipment stockpile was largely out of date when the coronavirus hit, for example. Oh, brackets. Love to love to, love, love to constantly note that one. That was that's a, that's a real highlight. Real W for the Tory party there. The waiting list for procedures now at a record 7.2 million. Was already 4.4 million in February 2020, just before lockdown. Austerity, when conservative-led governments began cutting public budgets from 2010, is a backdrop too much of what we're suffering today, which is the um, focus of our second segment. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll put a pin in that and get to it in, in a few bit in a bit. Uh, repeat, public sector pay freezes mean NHS jobs are not as well paid as they were 12 years ago, making them less attractive. Deep cuts to councils have severely stretched social care provision. This is depriving tens of thousands of people taking up hospital beds of care home home places or community care packages. An issue at the heart of ambulance handover delays. All while demand is rising with an ageing population of medical advances lengthening the lifespans of disabled people. Oh. Oh. oh, Medical advances, eh? Lengthening lifespans of disabled Conservative politicians will argue that the NHS budgets the NHS's budget was protected from cuts in this time, and health spending rose, and it did, but at a slower rate than in the preceding decade. The UK spends less on health than its major European counterparts. The number of available overnight hostel beds fell eleven percent from twenty ten to twenty twenty. Outcomes worsened. Every major AE unit in England failed its four-hour waiting time target for the first time in November twenty nineteen. The exit made things worse too. Thousands of European doctors decided not to work in the UK because of its departure from the EU. The end of free movement has exacerbated long-standing NHS labour shortage. shortages. A more liberal immigration system and better pay, condition, pay and conditions could help. But Rishi Sunak wants to cut their migration into the UK, and he is refusing to negotiate with striking nurses. In November 2021, Tory MPs even voted against publishing the number of staff the NHS needs to recruit, which could have improved workforce planning. Of course they did. Of course they did. Why would you? Why, why would you need that? Fuck all that. Don't need it. Extra work. Extra work. Don't need any of that. So if you're unlucky enough to have an emergency this winter, remember the carnage around you was a political choice, and remember how it used to be. Yeah, put simply. Um, but, but you know, just um, just suck it up, guys. You know what I mean? And I love this. Um, and you know, this is a very um off the time thing to say, as you know, as is with the current affairs podcast, but. The 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 stuff about Rishi Sunak, you know, not confirming nor denying that he doesn't use NHS services who are we kidding? Like why why we why why does the media play that game? Like, why does the media play that game? Do we really always need a concrete yes or no? The fact that he didn't say yes is all you need <laughs> in that kind of answer. Do you do you use the NHS? Um, well, uh, 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 no, 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 you don't, you don't use private services because you're rich, that's it, simple as, and this is the point when it comes to politicians, right, they don't use any of these services, that's why they don't care, that's why they're happy to cut all this fucking shit, because they don't fucking use it themselves, if they did, they'd care, because that's what politicians are, greedy fuckers, anyway, let's get to the second sentence. For the second NHS segment, uh, we're going to hop into how austerity caused the NHS crisis. I'm going to dig a bit deeper into this particular point. Um, This is via Open Democracy, written by Danny Dawling. Let's jump right in. When the coalition government first introduced its landmark Health and Social Care Act in 2010, Health Secretary Andrew Lansley claimed the NHS would never again need to undergo such huge organisational change. But even at the time, one widely respected commentator warned that far from being the final fix, and as you advertise, the act quote, could become this government's poll tax. unquote. In the event, it had been it has been a slow-burn poll tax. Only now, ten years after it came into the law, are we seeing its full effects. With publications from the from the Times to the Morning Star reporting that A&E delays are killing up to 500 people a week. This figure, five percent above the normal number of people who die each week though that baseline uh, is also rising, can surely be traced back to the act which ushered in a greater wave of privatisation than ever before. It compelled NHS management to behave as if they were in the private sector, competing to win business and led to an increase in the proportion of contracts won and the use of contracts overall. At the time, the damage caused was little noticed because government cuts in the first round of austerity targeted local authorities and adult social care. The first group of people to see their life expectancy fall were elderly women, who most often lived on their own. It was in 2014 that this connection became apparent. Back then, the government was still confident with the, health and so, with the Department for Health and Social Care uh, rebutting any suggestion that austerity and privatisation might be linked to mortality. Uh, the privatisation figures were also opaque. In 2015, halfway through Jeremy Hunt's tenure... Oh, that... Boy, he's back again um, as health secretary. Uh, It was reported. See, this is. Sorry, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I I just have to. The fact this is this is the 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 overriding theme I want to pin upon you guys um, throughout this year. I'm going to keep saying it. Failing up. I'm going to keep using that as much as possible because this is what politics is. They always fail up. How the fuck did Jeremy Hunt, who was a dog shit health secretary, dog shit, right? How the fuck is he chancellor right now? How did that become that? They always fail up. And it fucking... That, 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 that's, that's probably the one thing that pisses me off the most in, in most of the world. Just the fact that politicians can literally do what the fuck they like and suffer little to no consequences. None of them go to jail... Like, n- n- none of them uh, none of them are made poor through, you know, just being blackballed in several areas of life. None of that. They always find a way to fail upwards. They fail and they still fucking succeed personally as a career job. Don't make fucking sense. It really pisses me off. Anyway. Jeremy Hunt's tenure as health secretary. It was reported that ministers were misleading the public. Oh, <gasps> really? By that point, private firms were winning 40% of new contracts, far higher than the 6% spend share claimed by the government and almost identical to the 41% won by NHS bodies. The first great increase in mortality was recorded in that same year, 5% rise that the government tried to attribute to influenza. Uh, the problem with that explanation was that the stalling and falls in life expectancy were not seen to the same extent as it was in Europe. Hmm, how weird. Crazy, right? By 2019, life expectancy for women had fallen almost a fifth of all neighbourhoods, and in over a tenth for men. Poorer people, both old and young, in poorer areas suffered most, with infant mortality among babies born to the poorest parents rising. Later, there was a rise in deaths of women who were pregnant. As NHS went in the spiral, a tenth of all adults, most of those who could, were resorting to accessing private healthcare in 2021. But in doing so, they lengthened the list further by jumping the queues and thus diverting resources by april 2022 the number of vacant beds in hospitals was at an all-time low estimates of the damage done kept rising less than six months later it claimed it was claimed that austerity since 2010 had led to a third of million a third of a million excess deaths twice as many as from the pandemic <sighs> well Now A&E departments are stretched to capacity, unable to clear patients to other beds in our hospitals as they could in the past. Those other beds cannot be cleared as they were before because adult social care has has been repeatedly decimated, with what is left being tendered out to private companies. All of this was foretold in the four years after 2015, the value of one group of private sector contracts in the NHS rose by 89%. The figures were released just before the 2019 general election, partly in response to Matt Hancock. Oh, got another one failing up. Then the health secretary claiming that, quote, there is no privatisation of the NHS on my watch. Unquote. Again, the damage... uh, If I comment on everything, we're going to be here for years, so anyway. um, Again, the damage was not so much through the extent of covert privatisation but through the wider ethos that had been promoted. Take the USA. Most of the enormous amount of money uh, spent on healthcare there has little impact on improving health because the ethos is wrong. No shit. That's what my American friends tell me anyway. It is sometimes said wrongly, that is, uh, that the NHS has has not been further privatised because the share of its spending that went to the private sector remained roughly the same between 2012 and 2020. By 2020, that share was about 7%, or just under 10 billion a year. It rose to over 12 billion during the pandemic when the government paid private hospitals to treat patients because overall health spending rose. The proportion, the, uh, the proportion remained roughly the same, still around 7%. But the number of private companies involved did increase greatly, particularly in areas where there was already more private healthcare. By last year, private firms were delivering a quarter of all planned NHS hospital treatment in the least deprived areas of England and 11% in the most deprived areas. Those shares, which have risen since 2020, are higher than the 7% because it is in planned hospital treatment where the private sector has most infiltrated the NHS. Last year, the Health and Care Act of 2022 put paid to Lansley's claim uh, that he had fixed the NHS once and for all. The act reduces reduces the compulsion of the NHS from having to tender so many services to private sector bidding in future, because it was not designed to stop the rot. It will not solve the services problems, though. There is hope that it could be the beginning of an actual change in ethos. the, p- the pandemic uh, made uh, the effects of privatisation clear. Britons now have the worst access to healthcare in Europe. Just think about that for a moment. Just just marinate on that. All of those countries you may consider lesser than the UK. I won't name names, but I'm sure you guys have your biases. Okay? I'm sure there are plenty of countries in Europe you're just like, Really? We're below them? Yes. Have the worst access to healthcare in Europe. And some of the worst post-pandemic outcomes. But the successive health secretaries who inflicted this tragedy are unrepentant. Funny enough how that works. In 2018, Lansley criticised Hunt's Cuts. Hunt's Cuts. Hunt's Cuts. That sounds um, that sounds like a, a fun tongue twister that could be made into something much more scathing. In screening services, blaming them for delaying this guy. Criticising the other cunt. <laughs> you know just, d- just dickheads just jawing at each other and nothing happening love it um uh, 2018 Lansing signs Hunt's cuts Hunt's cuts Hunt's cuts in screen services I just love saying it to be honest blaming them for delaying the detection of his bowel cancer Hunt meanwhile went on to become foreign secretary in the Johnson Exchequer oh my god I want to scream his legacy, as Over Democracy's uh, Caroline Malloy wrote last year, is, quote, one of missed targets, lengthening weights, crumbling hospitals, missed opportunities, full solutions, funding boosts, have vanished on scrutiny, and blaming everyone but himself, unquote. And now he's in control of the money. Hancock is now most remembered for eating camel penis and cow anus on live TV for money. Belligerence, bravado, and buffoonery. We got here because too many of us believe the words of thieves. Indeed, indeed, in fucking deed. I think the most depressing thing about all this is that I didn't I didn't clock onto this, you know, NHS privatization tip until until around the um until around the Corbyn May elections. Um because uh, I remember that um, Jeremy Corbyn and his, you know, and, and the party itself I don't know if it was actually just him or his crew or whatever, um, the Labour Party, I'll just say in general, um, dropped a kind of like they, they uncovered, I guess, like some uh, genuine reports that uh, or genuine like, um, you know, uh, documentation uh, that the Tory government was literally talking to US private health excuse me, US um, private healthcare firms in terms of like selling shit off, selling the NHS off. And I saw that, I was just like, I'll just help, you know, I was, it was like that, um, it was like that, Uh, it was like that gif of um, Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he sees himself on the TV. He's like, yep, th- that, that, he's just pointing on the TV. All that family guy bit where, you know, it's, um, he, where Peter's watching the, uh, watching, watching the, the film uh, the film, and he's like, uh oh, oh, he said it, he said it. That's, that's literally it, that's, I, was, I was just pointing at the TV going, they fucking got it, smoking gun, they, they smoking gun, they're sending the NHS off, why is nobody talking about this, and to be, and to, you know, credit, I did see, like, um you know, Channel 4 uh, talking about it, I remember uh, at that time, um, and I'm sure other publications um, uh, uh, looked at it as well, but it's the fact that 2010 was 12 years ago, guys, The act itself that made this, that started all this, was 12 years ago. And it's been getting worse ever since. And now it's very obvious that austerity is a lot responsible for this. On top of the fact that Tories are just shithouses. That's crazy to me. That is absolutely crazy to me. And I need to get on the media on this, right? Because I, I saw... What did I see? I saw like a... I saw this dumb shit headline, dumbest fucking headline. Of um, I think it was on the New Statesman, funny enough. When like someone was asking, asking the question, um, uh, is the NHS getting sold off? Or you know, just a really, a really fucking obvious question that if me, a non, you know, um, in the in the news circle, in the news journalism circles, not a journalist on that fashion. You know, not being paid for that shit. If I am aware it ha- it's happening, you should be aware it's happening. If you're able to drop a new statesman article all about it, then you should fucking know. To ask that question is fucking stupid. And it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's been 12 years. 12 years of this. I'm surprised the NHS still fucking exists at this point. Like, that's, that's crazy to me. So, you know, just, we need to, this is the, this is the thing. We, we're so fucking like a with this shit. Like, it's been 12 years, can we please get into some fucking action and actually get on these dickheads' necks? Like, and actually, you know, tell them that we don't fucking want this. Like, who wants to pay for healthcare? I know plenty of American friends and they constantly lambast it. Fuck that. A listener, actually, a listener of DITD, hit me up. Hit me up uh, late last year. Saying he was in a car crash. And he needed, uh, he and he started up a GoFundMe for his hospital bills. I forgot how much it was. It was probably like five k, something like that. I'm ballparking it, but you know, k, four figures at least, right? And and uh, you know, good for him. He got it. Big ups to him. Um, hope he's hope he's um, you know, uh, getting better. Um, but fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. Just no fucking way. No fucking way. And that's, that's not happening. Um, I, 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 just, I, just don't, I just don't understand why we're... You know, theme of the year. Theme of this whole show right now. And something I've, something I've had an epiphany about. This is a show about anger. And we should be angry about this. We should, really should. We should be fucking irritated. Absolutely apoplectic about this. I am apoplectic about this. And it took me over five years since... The actual act, the Health and Social Health and Health and Care Act, whatever the fuck it's called, Lansley, dickhead, until he since he implemented it, It took me five years, and it's taken people twelve years, and it's taken some journalists twelve years to even ask the question: Is the NHS being sold off? Get your fucking head out your ass and put your finger up and actually see where the wind's blowing. Can you please do that? Get on your fucking horses, guys. Seriously, get on your fucking horses. Okay. So let's jump right into something different. Let's uh, jump into the arts. And, uh, you know, I've talked about how the arts in the UK is not getting what it needs in terms of funding. A lot of ways. Um, music, film, television, I've talked about it in every facet. Um, next week, I'm going to um, talk about... Uh, I already have it because it's been out. Um, the USC Anberg, um report that they dropped uh, a week or so ago. And um, yeah, I want to I want to talk about that, and i probably just I'll probably just read from the PDF, uh, some of the findings they had because um, they had a lot of very fascinating findings, and I feel like um that's a, I'm always into that kind of shit um you know from the people at USC Annenberg uh, to also the uh, Ralph J Bunch uh uh institute a uh, uh, center for in it's in UCLA it's in the Ralph J Bunch Institute or whatever it's called Ralph J Bunch Science um for uh, U, in UCLA. And they do a Hollywood diversity reports um, every year as well. Um, so um, I, lo- I love those. I love those uh, just general reports and what they deliver. Um, USC Annenberg um, delivers more, I think, up-to-date numbers. Um, uh, the, the Hollywood diversity report is usually... I don't know if it just takes longer to actually get gather the information have everything crystallize. Um, in terms of like numbers or whatever, um, but they're you know when they drop like a twenty twenty two for example, the figures are like from twenty nineteen, you know what I mean? So uh, it's weird how that works. But anyway, that's not what we're here for. We're here for this one. Um, this is written by James Tapper via The Observer. It's called "A Huge Decline of Working-Class People in the Arts Reflects Fall in Wider Society." Society, um, and this is a very abstract thing, um, and it's hard to see, um, but it's very important. Extremely important, um, and uh, hopefully, <coughs> if the article doesn't explain, I shall with the back end. So let's jump right in. The proportion of working class actors, musicians, and writers has shrunk by half since the 1970s. New research shows analysis of office uh, analysis of uh, the ONS Office of National Statistics uh, data found that 16.4% of creative workers. <coughs> Uh, born between 1953 and 62 had a working-class background, but that had fallen to just 7.9 for those born four decades later. This reflected a similar uh, decline in the number of people with working-class origins, according to the paper in the journal Sociology by researchers from the universities of Edinburgh, uh, Manchester, and Sheffield. People whose parents had a working-class job accounted for about 37% of the workforce in 1981, but by 2011, they had fallen to about 21%. The finding raises... Questions about why years of attempts to make the arts more open and diverse diverse have not had more impact. People who grew up in professional families were four times more likely than those with working-class parents to be in creative work. The study found, which um adds to the continuing Hollywood-centric conversation um, about nepotism in the Ho- Hollywood system. And um, that's just a great that's just a great um statistic to throw out there. You know, four times more likely. for for people that grew up in professional uh, families than working-class families. That's that's, that's, that's absurd. That's a really high number, four times as likely. And with fewer film directors, authors, uh, or songwriters, to describe the experience of growing up in a working-class household, some creatives fear their stories are being squeezed out of culture or confined to poverty porn. Quote, These class imbalances have been uh, with us for a long time," said uh, time since said David. Long time said Dave O'Brien, a professor of cultural and creative industries at the University of Sheffield and one of the paper's authors. It suggests that we need to do something more than just create access courses. It suggests that this is a big social problem, not just something that the BBC or the Arts Council or these kinds of organisations should be addressing. Unquote. Actu- actors such as Michael Sheen, Christopher Eccleston, Junie, Julie hesmond Hes- Hesmondhog, fucking name that is, um, and Julie Walters have said repeatedly in the last few years that finding a career in the creative industries has become much harder for people from traditionally working-class backgrounds. The reality, says O'Brien, is more complex. "Quote," the backdrop is this massive change in British society where there are fewer coal miners or manual labourers to have these kinds of working-class sons and daughters, so there are a few working-class people coming through, and so the odds of people making it stay the same, even if the experience of the industry is really different, unquote. But the decline in numbers has other effects people should be concerned about, O'Brien said. Another quote, we know there's clearly a relationship between who makes decisions, particularly in commissioning, and the kinds of stories that get made, he said. Uh, TV commissioners and publishers come from a quote, uh, a quote, reasonably kind of cohesive, quite narrow, elite social background, unquote, and to many, uh, may have a narrow, narrower uh, view about what is interesting. He cited the BBC's lack of appeal among people who, young, who are younger and from less privileged backgrounds. That creates uh, creates access problems, even for success stories uh, such as Gary Oldman, They Say The Sun from South London, Oscar winner and star of current Apple TV hit Slow Horses. He's directed one film, Nil by Mouth, which uh, which won several awards, including two BAFTAs in 1997. Quote, People say to me, why haven't you directed again? And it hasn't been for want of trying, he said at the BFI in October. They don't want another one of these, Nil by Mouth. Uh, and that's the problem. They want four weddings and a funeral, unquote. Natasha Carthew, uh, the author of nine books, including All Rivers Run Free, founded the Working Class Writers' Festival last year to address the issue. Quote, a lot of working-class writers think that people are going to be prejudiced right off the bat, but that's not the case," she said. "People do want authentic voices. What makes it harder for them is later on, when you haven't got the mates who are going to publicise your book." Unquote. But publishers need to remember that books dealing with working-class life are not poverty porn," she added. Another quote: "There are very, there are very different stories about resilience and beauty and humour and hard graft." The lack of ability to take risk is another barrier, Carthew said, such as working two jobs or not having enough money, not having money to go out for drinks to build a, to build a network or pay for a hotel in London while doing an internship. That's exactly. Let me let me finish it. We've got a couple of paragraphs, but that's perfect. Um, <clears throat> Publishers quote: Publishers are trying more to get a broad charge of people, Carthew said, but they've been slow. Like everywhere has been slow. There are lots of schemes, and then the money runs out. They tick that box, and then they move on and put their cash somewhere else. I've seen that with my festival. That's why the momentum keeps changing. They want novelty. And that's been my issue, personally, um, overall. Overall. That last bit. That was a. That was kind of like you know just hold it. I, just, I literally just held my hands like going. That's the, that's the bit. That's the bit. That's the bit right there. So I was doing the you know, to camera thing. I was I was pointing. To the, I was pointing on my screen. Ah, ah, that's it. I I I have networked before, right? I'm actually signing some work soon. And um, excuse me. And um. Uh, and it was out of a. I don't know if I've told the story before, <clears throat> but um, basically I, put simply, I interviewed an artist, uh, the artist invited me like a year or so later um, of, of the of the initial event, um, he invited me to a private showcase of his new shit, uh, I went there on my ones, and then I just um, talked to a dude, and he said, what do I do, I said I'm a screenwriter primarily, but I do other things as well. And he was like, "Oh, cool! Uh, my son's looking for a screenwriter, and and that's it." And I'm literally still working with them now, um, you know. And to and, you know, it's been on and off in the past few years. And those are the those are the things, right? And I noticed last year, out of myself, I don't know if I said this last year either, but, um, in my last episode, but uh, you know, I noticed, I noticed something very, uh, very. It was very obvious now. That I'm thinking about it, but. I was just spending my money on the wrong things. Um I should have been I I go to shows I've been you know I constantly tell you guys about what shows I've been to right um, you know go sometimes I, I, the the thing I want in life is the ability to just hit up anything at any given night right or or at least like hit up one thing a week uh, whether it be a show or whatever um or go see a film you know what I mean just just that privilege to 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 go to an event of that nature uh, at least once a week, um, and at least have the ability to do so at any point in at any day, um, but also but just want to do it once a week. That's that's why I consider a good life for me. Right, if I'm if I have that ability, I'm good in life. and I can die happy. Um, but whilst I am s- close, to, I I've been close to achieving that in some ways. Right, I, I, I hit up a. A, a, you know like a maybe a show a month um on average a little lesser than that probably um but while i'm on the road to that i understood to myself that oh shit i'm going to the wrong places now even though i got my my current screenwriting uh work um from that emanated from you know an interview i did <laughs> an a written interview i did years ago five six years ago now um that's not going to happen every time I go to the jazz cafe, right? That's not going to happen. Um, a, sh- a music showcase, a private showcasing is much different than, you know, just a, a, show, in- a show in a jazz cafe or, or a Coco or a-, or a Brixton Academy, right? So it's different. Those are obviously just show shows. Um, the-, the one I went to is more intimate. Um, but... Yeah, I kind of just realized that I wasn't going, I wasn't networking enough. And um, that's my fault, right, on, on a lot of ways. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that just can't do that. They can't network for whatever reason. And obviously, you know, you got LinkedIn, you got social media, you can go down that route, okay, right? And I'm, um, you know, you know I've, I've seen it happen, um, I've seen it work for a lot of people. Uh, I'm just not a social media person and I don't know, just, uh, I, I'm, I'm more of a word of mouth person, um, as I hope that you guys, you know, share this show on a word of mouth tip. That's, I, I, I value, I value word of mouth higher than anything else. Um, and I want people who work with me to realize that I'm good. And if they, and if anybody they know needs that kind of whatever work I'm doing, they can hit me up. You know what I mean, and I'm good. That's that's how I want to gain a network personally. Um, but I do understand that networking is a thing, and uh, it is very, very important. Very important. Probably more important than the actual work itself. Like, <laughs> like if you if you just if you could just have if you could hold a conversation with with somebody, and I understand that could be hard for some people. You're fucking good. Like you could you could be fucking good in, t- in the long run. Um, and that last point there, that working class people don't get those opportunities. Um, and you know, also I'm lucky in a lot of ways that I am, you know, an hour away from London. Uh, some people are far fucking far away from any city in England, let alone London, right? Um, so it, 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 it creates a bias, um, and it creates a, a bottleneck and, um, even even look at what shows even come out in terms of British anything, right? In terms of any British TV. Um, most of them are Southern. Most of them feature Southern artists. <coughs> um, how many pure, just straight-up Northern shows do you see on a, on a daily basis, right? only one I think of off the top of my head is like, this is England. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's very... You know, northern, right? Uh, but that doesn't happen all the time. For one, for one, this is England. There's a ton of other. There's a ton of others where you know they're either based in London or somewhere in the south, right? And you know, that's that's the that's the that's the familiarity pipeline there. That's the familiarity bias right there, where people, people can just hit up events in London and get some work. You can't do that in Scunthorpe. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's harder. It's harder. It's harder to do. Um, And I I completely understand that. So I hold privilege in a lot of ways. And, you know, that's worth noticing. Um, And, you know, we're not going to add the racial component to all this because that creates a whole new jumble of of mush. Um, But, yeah, man, it's hard for working class people. Harder. The four times likely thing blows my fucking mind. I, f- I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. Four times crazy, and just think about that. What the fuck are we going to watch? Or what have we watched? And now I'm thinking deeply. I'm just like I'm deep in it. I'm like, damn. Is my is my show not working? Um, am I the shit? I'm the shit. I uh, the shit I write. Is even working class like centered? Well, I'm trying to think. You know, most of them are. Most of them are very grounded, right? And very just grounded in reality and stuff like that. So most of them are. Um, but, you know, I've got a couple. I've got a couple that are very opulent. Um, and very aspirational, right? Quote unquote. But that's just, I, th- I feel like that's just me being me, right? And that's just me having fun with my, my writing. Um, but, hey man, people don't, I don't think many writers think as um, purposefully as I do, right? So they just go with what they know. And if people aren't working class, and they go with well, what they know, hmm, I don't know, man, I don't know. And especially when it comes to music, because I mentioned songwriters and musicians here, you know, I, the people I like are working class, you know? They, or they, or they come from working class backgrounds, and that's why they're so fucking great, because they, they have those relatable stories. I'm not listening to Posh Dude, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't care. I just don't care, um, so, yeah, that's very interesting, that's a very fascinating thing to think about, um, but, yeah, man, hopefully working class people can, ah, oh, Jesus Christ, I mean, can even get a leg up, but with how, we're connecting connecting this with other, um, stories I've read over the past couple of years, shit, man, the, the, the ladder's being pulled up a lot of, a lot of times for a lot of people, and, uh, yeah man, that needs to that needs to stop, um, funny enough, I don't have a solution for that, even though I was talking about that at the start, um, I mean, I do have solutions, you know, it's very simple, but, you know, are people going to implement that? No, so, what's the point, but, um, anyway, let's finish off. Finish with a life topic, and uh, I felt since yeah, since we're well into 2023, and um, there's probably a lot of people that have uh, you know suffered an L already. You probably suffered an L yourself, or um, to kick off the new year, and now you just feel like shit again because <laughs> all that freshness of New Year's is now fucking gone. Um, but never fear, I have something that might help, a little mindset that might help us. Um, so I found this. I, I actually found this in November. Um, this, this was published in the eighth of November last year, um, and uh, there was like two separate times I was going to put it on the pod, but I just uh didn't do it for uh being replaced being replaced by things that I found more pertinent, um, because you know this 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 is this is evergreen. I feel um um so uh, we'll, we'll get into it now. Um, so this is by Ella Tennant, uh lecturer uh, of Lang uh, Lecturer of language and culture um, at Kiel University, and um, it's via conversation, and it's called "How the philosophy behind the Japanese art form of kintsugi can help us navigate failure." So does John Brian. In our twenties uh, and thirties, there can be immense pressure to measure up to the expectations of society, our families, our friends, and even those we have for ourselves. Many people look back and feel disappointed that they hadn't taken the opportunity to travel more. Oh gosh, that was that was one of my things in New Year's. I was just like, go abroad. Don't care where. Don't care for how long. Just go abroad. Because I haven't been. I, I I haven't been abroad in over a decade. Um, it's been a while. Um, anyway, others might have envis- envisioned. See, envisioned. See, big up <laughs> that they would be further along in their careers or personal relations, personal relationships. In reality, life is hard and we might face setback, setbacks, big and small. That can shatter our dreams, leaving, leaving us with fragments we perceive as worthless. Phoenix of failure can take a long-lasting mental toll, but they don't have to stop you in your tracks. There are many teachings, practices and philosophies that can help you deal with disappointment, embrace imperfection and remain optimistic. One such pra- practice is the Japanese art form of kintsugi, which means joining with gold. It has attracted a great deal of attention in recent years, as both an art technique, a worldview, and metaphor for how we can live life. Many forms of Japanese art have been influenced by Zen and Mahayana philosophies, which champion the concepts, concepts of acceptance and contemplation of imperfection, as well as the constant flux and imper- impermanence well, that word, of all things. Uh, Kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery. If a bowl is broken, rather than discarding the pieces, the fragments are put back together with a glue-like tree sap, and the cracks are adorned with gold. There are no attempts to hide the damage; instead, it is highlighted. The practice has be- has come to represent the idea that beauty can be found in imperfection. The breakage is an opportunity, and applying this kind of thinking to instances of failure in our own lives, uh, yeah, in our own lives, can be helpful. Kintsugi was fairly uh, widespread in Japan around the late 16th and 17th centuries. The origins of this aesthetic go back hundreds of years to the Muromachi period, approximately 1336 to 1573. The ruling uh, shogun, uh, the third ruling shogun leader of that area, uh, Ashikaga Yoshimitsu, uh, 1358 to 1408, is said to have broken his favorite tea bowl. The bowl was unique and could not be replaced. So, instead of throwing it away, he sent it to China for replacement or repair. The bowl returned, repaired with its pieces held in place by metal staples. Staple repair was a common technique in China, as well as parts of Europe at the time, for particularly valuable pieces. However, the shogun considered it to be neither functional nor beautiful. Instead, the shogun had his own artisans resolve the situation by finding a method to make something beautiful from the broken, damaged object, but without disguising the, uh, the damage. And so kintsugi came to be. Kintsugi makes something new from a broken pot, which is transformed to possess a different sort of beauty. The imperfection, the golden cracks, are what make the new object unique. They are—they uh, are there every time you look at it, and they welcome contemplation of the object's past and of the moment of failure that it, uh, that it and its owners have overcome, has overcome. The art of Kintsugi is inextricably linked to the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi. I love love saying that. Wabi-sabi. A worldview centered on the acceptance of transience, imperfection, and the beauty found in simplicity. Wabi-sabi is also an appreciation of both natural objects and the forces of nature that remind us that nothing stays the same forever. Wabi-sabi... Please keep, se- please keep putting wabi-sabi in this, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it funny. Wabi-sabi can also be incorporated into contemplating something and seeing it grow more beautiful as time passes. As a craft in an art form, Kintsugi changes expectations. This is because the technique goes further than repairing an object that actually transforms and intentionally changes its appearance. In an age of mass production and conformity, learning to accept and celebrate imperfect things as Kintsugi demonstrates, can be powerful. Whether it's reading from a breakup or being turned down for a promotion, the fragments of our disappointment can be transformed into something new. That new thing might not be perfect, or be how you had envisioned it it would be, but it is beautiful. Just, I I love this article, but just the fact I was bitching about envisaged, and now she's saying envisioned, perfect. See, I love, I love the arc of this episode. Love it. Uh, rather than try to disguise its flaws, the Kintsugi technique highlights and draws attention to them. The philosophy of Kintsugi as an approach to life can, in- can help encourage us when we face failure. We can try to pick up the pieces, and if we manage to do that, we can put them back together. The result might not seem beautiful straight away, but as Wabi Sabi teaches, as time passes, we may be able to appreciate the beauty of those imperfections. The bowl may seem broken, the pieces scattered, but this is an opportunity to put it back together with seams of gold. It will be something new, unique, and strong. And I love that. I love the article, um, and I love the the concept. I feel um, it, it seems much... It, it seems very obvious in some ways. It seems very... Um, yeah, it just seems just very apparent. It's like, yeah, that's good logic. That's good logic, right? Where, you know, if you... You take an old broken bowl, pick up the pieces. They're all pieces, right? And you don't know what to do with them. You could foam in the bin, and you know, completely just do away with it. I'm sure you know that's a that's a a fair logic to use as well. Um, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, I guess, right? Stuff like that, <coughs> um, or you know, pay no minds, kind of thing. But I don't know. I think the value of you know, we 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 all. Losses are lessons, right? We always we always learn from losses, or well, well, Some of us do. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you learn from losses. I mean, if you keep doing the same fucking thing, then you're insane. In the words of Albert Einstein. Um. So yeah, I. I but I do feel there's just a there's a there's an uh, there's an innate uh, essence to that, and I and I'm, I'm I'm here for it. I kind of want a kintsugi bowl now, <laughs> just to just as a reminder of like. You know, you can break up, you break break the pieces, and you can shatter them. However, you know, and how into however many pieces, right? it could be could be, you know, granular. Um, but you know, Kintsugi will find a way, and uh, that's 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 cool to think about. Um, but yeah, hopefully that um, gives a nice breath of fresh air uh, to continue on with whatever you're doing, uh, wherever you're listening, uh, whenever you're listening. And, ladies and gentlemen, we've just there. From the in Podcast Network. I'm Richard Taylor and it's been What's Good. Intro music has been Too Much by Vanilla. And you can thank uh, Chilmok Music for the BTUs, use find both the links in the full show notes. And thanks to Brenda friend of High for the BTUs use for the Institute. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.